the Augustin Hosinga Show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 737. That is 737 of the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and I hope you are doing well wherever, wherever this live stream may find you. I hope you are doing really, really, really well. How am I? All good, all things considered. I cannot complain all good all things considered i really really cannot complain you know how it is you know how it is it's been a while since i last checked in with all of you so i hope you're doing well um the last couple of days have been a very interesting one it's still bloody 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 cold over here in london i'm sure most people are suffering the same sort of level of coldness but one thing that's still really making me smile or making me laugh or really surprising me is just the genuine lack of people that I'm seeing in the gyms nowadays. I generally do think like, I think maybe COVID, maybe the pandemic, maybe the lockdown, I think has generally just broken people's will to live. I think the the idea of New Year's resolutions, the idea of like, you know, working out in the new year and new me, new body, new me, all this sort of like, you know, even the dry January stuff. I'm not really seeing any promo around that. I'm not seeing people really talking about it on the timeline. I don't know if people are quietly doing the dry January thing and not announcing it, but I'm not seeing a lot of people talking about that on the timeline. I'm not a lot of seeing people in the gyms. I'm not, it's just, it just feels like another, another year. It just feels like just any other month. This could be any other month in any other year and you have no, no idea it was January. Whereas I feel like before the pandemic, you always felt like, it always felt like a January, you know? You could kind of feel, okay, this is the beginning of the year. People are being a little bit more stoic. People are maybe, you know, deciding to maybe dial back on some of the crazy shit they were doing last year or something. It always felt a little bit like, okay, this time we're starting off a little bit slow and we want to kind of ramp it up or we're trying to take our foot off the pedal and we're just trying to get things in order get things in line with our lives and then we can kind of go crazy later on but if anything this just feels like any other month and the gym for me has been the biggest example of it like I was genuinely worried the first couple of days I was going to the gym I was like oh man I'm gonna have to just you know stand because one of the annoying things about going to the gym especially for me anyway I think most people are the same is when you have to stand around waiting for people to finish on the equipment that you want to use because I'm not somebody that wants to communicate like I, I don't know maybe I'm just different in this regard but when I go work out in the gyms I want to kind of do the opposite that I do when I'm you know living my regular regular life so I'm not in there to be like you know Mr. Personality Man I'm not there to be like the joker or stuff I don't want to you know get to know anybody I don't want to have any conversations 
I don't even want to want you to hear my voice. I just want to go there, do my workout and go home. You know, that's all I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. I want to whack on some tunes. And even when I put my tunes on, I'm kind of disciplined in terms of if I put on, if I put my tunes on shuffle, I don't really like to touch my phone. Or if I have a mix on, I'll just leave it on until I finish the workout type of thing. I don't want to be on my phone. I don't want to be browsing. I don't want to do anything. I don't talk to anybody. So when I'm in there and the equipment's taken, you know, you kind of like, you're stuck in that weird position where you're like, should I ask the person when, when they're going to finish? Should I ask them how much sets they got left? Or should I just figure out another workout, which is already, a, you know, another bit of, you know, unnecessary stress you have to kind of think about because you go in there with one plan you want to do and now you've got to do another plan, which is why nowadays I've been going, I've always got like two or three little workouts in mind, you know, because usually, especially in the gym I go to now, because it's a bit bigger and because it's open later, um, which I've seen, this is a good kind of like example as to why maybe, or not why, but definitely an example and uh of why places like Berlin and stuff work so well or other places in in Europe in terms of clubs opening hours. This gym I go to is 24 hours and genuinely, even if somebody's on a bit of equipment that you need, you don't have to wait more than 10 minutes to get on that equipment yourself. Like, cause there's, you know, there's probably two or three different stations and people are rotating in and out all the time. So it, it is the same sort of like example as the people that go to you know why people prefer to go to club in places like berlin because their clubs are open longer so you've got less people in there you know packed during the peak hours and the people that are in there aren't exactly super fucked up to the point where they can't walk and shit because they're coming in you know all hours of the day spread across the whole entire weekend so it helps to kind of alleviate all that stress you know all people getting a little bit too mad and whatever it may be and i think the same thing happens in that gym so that's a good thing but still, there are occasions where you go in there and you're like, oh, you're twiddling your thumbs. You're like, damn, man, should I ask this person when they're going to finish? You don't want to da, 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 da. But the beginning of this year, I never had that issue. The beginning of this year, I never had that issue. There's none of that issue. No one's there. Nobody's there. It feels like any other week or any other day that you'd go there, nobody is there. And it's been really, really cool to see, but also a little bit sad. Like it feels like people are either have either given up or people's priorities have changed or the world has just changed and it's never going back to what it was right the 2019 world that we all lived in um is never coming back again this is a whole nother reality that we're living in where news resolutions don't count people really don't care um they'd much rather just do what they're doing and um, whenever they want to do it and kind of go from there because yeah i've just been really shocked really really shocked by the lack of people that i've seen out there in the gyms man it's been kind of um it's been kind of sad i'm not gonna lie to see um in some respects because it means like you know people are just like meh why bother you know why bother if i'm gonna i guess there's some i guess there's some there is some level of like i won't say under respectability but I kind of get it if you're just going to be like, you know what, why bother if I know I'm going to flop anyway? You know, there is something quite, I won't say, is it admirable maybe about that? About, you know what, I know myself well. I know I'm going to flop by day three. Why even start, why even give myself this false hope? Because maybe that's the worst thing, right? Maybe the worst thing isn't that you don't achieve your dreams. Maybe the worst thing is that you give yourself false hope that you're going to change your life and do this really crazy thing and, you know, whatever. You're going to change careers. You're going to do this. You're going to dump all your friends. You're going you're gonna to get your life in order, get help. Maybe all these big, grandiose plans are the ones that really hurt you the most because when you fail them, it's almost like you failed yourself, right? And that kind of shit hurts. You're like, oh, shit, I failed myself. I didn't, you know, 
do the things that I said I was I set out to do. And that's the kind of thing that you can't necessarily, once you can't recover from, but it's hard to kind of wrangle in your brain that that is okay. You know, that maybe makes a lot more sense. Maybe that makes a lot more sense. Maybe that is a lot more sense. Maybe who knows? Who bloody knows? But either way, um, the gyms are, gyms are empty. Nobody's in them. Um, New Year's resolutions don't really exist anymore, I don't think. And if anything, maybe people like myself who have goals and ambitions and stuff, we're the weirdos. Maybe I'm the freak. Maybe I'm the odd one. Maybe I'm the delusional one, actually, because I'm actually sitting here believing, you know, that um, things like that can change when they really can't, you know? Maybe I'm the delusional one. That's the real that's the real kicker there, you know? Maybe the delusional one is flipping me. Maybe that's the delusional person out there. The one that actually thinks you can actually change something for the better is the delusional one. Um, what are you guys saying, chat? Oh, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, Don Dutton, very, very good point. Don Dutton in the chat is saying, wonder if it's Ozempic has to do anything with the reason people don't go. Yeah, th- that might be a, a really good observation there. Maybe the rise in Ozempic has really altered the fitness gym, you know, losing weight transformation, New Year's resolution world. Because essentially, if you can stab yourself with a little pen, why would you need? Why would you need to work out? right if you can honestly lose most of the weight that you want to lose um and fit into the clothes that you want to fit into why would you honestly put yourself through working out why would you put yourself through the you know the grueling regime of having to wake up at a certain time you know put your body under certain bits of stresses under weight eat a certain diet all this sort of nonsense when you could just stab yourself in the belly a couple of times a week and then all the weight kind of melts off it doesn't make any sense obviously for me being a little bit of a you know of a of a vanity freak and also paying attention to all that sort of stuff there is a big difference between people that lose weight via ozempic and people that lose weight you know the normal quote-unquote natural organic way there is a big big difference especially because i've seen the people that tend to take ozempic are the people that also don't like working out so maybe there is a balance maybe there is a way to do ozempic and work out and eat well where you can kind of not look as deflated because something i've realized for people that do ozempic they almost look like they're deflated, like someone took all the air out of a balloon or something. That's what it almost looks like. Um, it's just really strange. And they have like that weird ozempic face where it kind of ages you in the face. I don't know why that is the case. One of the side effects, it kind of ages you in the face. For some reason, your face ages way more than the rest of your body, which is super, 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 super strange. Um, but yeah, I, and I also think there is something, there is like an, there is an, what you call it? there's a benefit to just being able to do something really hard like your brain realizing that that's possible right like change like rewiring how your brain thinks about things because one of the hardest things to do really in life apart from maybe making more money right one of the hardest things to do apart from making more money like actually you work a job now you get paid 23,000 a year how do you go from that to 30 right it's kind of difficult to do like to just try to figure that out like it's very hard to do people kind of underestimate that you got a lot of fucking grifters out there a lot of these fucking stupid you know um social media entrepreneurs that make you feel as if like money is just lying on the street waiting for you to pick it up it's not easy to make money so to go from you know making 24 grand to then making 30,000 to then making 35 to 40 and then maybe hitting a point where you're reaching 100,000 a year that's not not difficult to do it's not so it's not easy to do but when you do figure it out 
it does give you a lot of self-confidence when you're able to maybe hustle you're able to maybe go, you know do some new do some extra courses um get some better accreditation maybe bounce around from different jobs and improve your cv and then little by little apply for better jobs and then kind of get to a point where maybe you don't get past the first stage but then next next time you get you get down to the last five or the last two all these things can be really good for your self-confidence and kind of rewiring your brain but one of the bigger best things is definitely like changing your body right going from skinny to fucking muscular going from fat to fucking skinny or whatever it may be that can really help um you in your life in ways that you probably don't realize so that's probably where you miss out on ozempic you kind of miss out on that component because obviously you know it's just something you do with stabbing yourself with a pen you don't really get the benefits of like rewiring your brain to tell yourself oh look i can do way more than i think i'm capable of doing you know what i mean when i put my mind to something look at what i can actually do look at the amazing things i can achieve blah 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 um it's really and obviously there is a lot to there is a lot of um benefit for other people too who are maybe watching you from afar who probably you don't really know who are kind of you know um who are there looking up to you for for your example because they've seen you at your fires because sometimes you don't even realize how chunky you are until maybe somebody else points it out so maybe they're looking at you thinking oh my god that's amazing so you get to inspire loads of people you get to rewire your brain and you also get to kind of tell yourself that, you know, you can do all things if you kind of put your mind to it. Those type of things are not things you should probably, um, you know, um, discount as just a minor thing. Those are really big things. So that goes to show you that maybe the Olympic thing, as much as it's been a net positive, probably for a lot of people out there, because, you know, there are some people out there who are just never going to work out anyway. And I, and I do have sympathy for it. And I think those people should be have, they should get the option to look hot and sexy one time in their life. I think that's really is beneficial for them. Um, definitely for sure. But I think for the majority of people out there, it's probably necessary to put yourself through some level of, you know, discipline, some level of pain, some level of hurt to get to that point where you look amazing in clothes or naked so that you can tell yourself, hey, you can do a lot more than you think you're capable of. That probably is the best way to go about things. But, you know, what do I know when it comes to this sort of stuff? What do I know? Not that much, not that much. So um, what I've been doing over the weekend, over the weekend, I've been watching Reacher. I've been watching Reacher, watching, watching Reacher, enjoying Reacher, every bit of it. And season two has been probably one of my favorite seasons or not one of my favorite seasons because it's only fucking two seasons long, but definitely has um, started off really well. I was a bit nervous um, when season two started off because it almost felt like they were going to do a little bit of the, um, I forgot what the flipping show was on Netflix, but it almost felt like they were going to try to take the attention away from Reacher and make it about his team, maybe make it about some of the female, um, you know, members of his team, because some, some of these shows, they have a, you know, a tendency to whatever reason, because it's maybe more male centric, the second season now, all of a sudden the girls are the baddest ones in the team. It's just annoying. But that wasn't the case. If anything, season two has been more so of a celebration or an acknowledgement um, or a reminder of how important it is to have a team, especially for a, a character like Reacher, who essentially is a bit of a lone wolf and kind of prefers his own company for him to kind of realize that he can't do everything on his own, even though he's a badass and he's super strong, super big and shit, and he can fuck most people up. He does need a team 
to help him do certain things and obviously um it kind of shows you the benefit of having that team and how they're able to kind of you know counteract some of the things that they're kind of going through and obviously some of the setbacks that come along with it with putting yourself out there and maybe getting betrayed and getting let down or whatever it may be but in general I love the idea of kind of the reminder, obviously, of how important it is to have a team, especially in a place like the army and stuff, right? And how, how it is with your flipping comrades in the field and whatnot. And I've really flipping enjoyed, um, this season. Um, there's been a lot of different, um, sort of lines or kind of, you know, themes that could kind of go down. A lot of plots they've probably not explored as much as I would like, but I think it's been a big improvement from season one. I think the fight scenes are great. I think the dialogue is really awesome. Um, especially because, you know Reacher's character is quite deadpan a little bit stoic a little bit quiet I think they've done a good job in terms of fleshing out some of the other characters um to make the show a little bit more compelling to watch outside of just the action scenes I think they've done really well with that and I think it's progressing and building up to a big crescendo at the end really well because I'm all but certain I think most people that are watching it it's all but it's all but obvious that there's going to be a big death at the end I don't know who it's going to be, but there's going to be a big death. You can, you can almost feel it in your bones. It's coming. Somebody's going to tragically pass away and it's going to flip and break, 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 break your heart. But I can definitely, definitely feel it on the horizon. But I really am enjoying Reacher. Um, incredible TV series. Again, um, easy to watch. I think they're calling it dad TV because of just how fun and lighthearted it all is. I think if you're a fan of, you know, again, thrillers, you're a fan of action, you're a fan of good fight scenes i do recommend you check it out i really do recommend you check it out one show or one one show i don't recommend you check out is echo there's this marvel tv series called echo the protagonist is like um this deaf girl who also is an amputee she's got like a leg you know a, a leg that got blown off i think it's a, she had a car accident so she's got a prosthetic leg or whatever it may be and she's deaf but she's also like a martial arts, you know, combat expert or something, right? Um, and I have to admit, it's absolutely terrible. I think the premise behind it is that she's Native American, so she's got um she's got these spirits in her or something that harken back to the you know, to the old times and gives her these weird powers or something. But oh my god god the woman is so unlikable and it's so interesting because she's actually deaf the actual actress herself is actually deaf as well so it's not even like she can actually talk but the character is so unlikable she's so hard to root for she you know recklessly gets people killed um she doesn't seem to have any care or respect for people um there's this weird thing as well like in this show it starts off by showing you like how you know her origin story right of how she kind of becomes um a superhero and um basically the, the it kind of starts off with her living in this place and being friends you know with this other young girl in her area and then they have to move i don't know why they have to leave i forgot what the reason is but she kind of leaves her friend behind her, but they're best friends. And then for some reason, when she's older, she just completely forgets about that best friend. She goes back to the town for, you know, for some unfinished business and to catch the killers of her dad and all this sort of nonsense. The girl lives in that town and for an entire series, I was like, why didn't she just go back and say hi to her friend? Like, I couldn't figure out why the, the friend was like being ignored why she was so angry at her like it, it wasn't explained like what did the friend do to you because the last scene the last scene you see of the friend 
is that kind of iconic scene in most series where the kid kind of one kid you know two best friends and one kid has to move and then you see the the scene of the kid running down the street like oh my god stay come back come back whatever that's all you see like that's the, what that's one of the only scenes you see between them so i was like when did the conflict happen what why have, why have they quote-unquote fallen out and it just seemed odd because she had all this like anger and aggression and frustration against this other friend i think her name's abby and there was no reason for it it just seemed a bit you know it just seemed a bit like um it didn't seem the the frustration was placed in the right place it was odd um misplaced so misplaced um aggression or frustration it was very bizarre then throughout the entire series as well you know it's a girl and she's fighting these big men and she's obviously got you know she's obviously got a prosthetic leg and you're like come on really like and again i'm not i'm not that i don't want to be that guy because i watch a lot of fucking you know mission i watch a lot of tom i'm a big tom cruise mission impossible franchise fan right and i watch a lot of thrillers and you know action movies that aren't the most realistic but come on the girl's deaf she's got one leg and you're telling me she's beating up all these dudes <laughs> with no real discernible superpowers apart from what her really high level mma skills come on brother come on come on and she's deaf too okay cool all right all right all right whatever you say um there's a scene with a daredevil in it which is cool i guess not really that interesting she somehow gets the better of daredevil and he kind of has to run away because he's ashamed um and then there's a what you call it i forgot his name um lex luger character in there too from left he's a little bit i won't say he's neutered but he's a little bit tame compared to the one that we know from before I don't know. I just don't know. It's just fucking terrible. Like, it's just really bad. Really fucking bad. And it's odd because Echo's got quite decent reviews online. If you go on, like, um, I don't know, IGN or a few of those other places, I don't know. Maybe IGN is not a good example because maybe they're a little bit more left-leaning and stuff. But it does have quite decent reviews online if you check it. But if you actually watch it, it's not really good. Like, again, the main actor is really annoying. Um most of the show is kind of done obviously via sign language because the, obviously the main character is deaf herself which is decent enough i guess for people who are actually deaf it's probably nice to have that level of accessibility but it's quite hard to kind of follow it like the the dialogue is a bit like labored because of it it's just i don't know it's just unnecessary i don't know why this exists it doesn't do anything really um the action scenes aren't believable none of the characters you want to root for from the grandmother to the main actress to the friends to the weird guy psychics that she, that he had that she has like it's just odd it's an odd tv series i didn't understand it um again another fail when it comes to these marvel tv shows i don't even know if it's worthy of a two out of ten if it's a one out of ten whatever it is i do recommend you probably don't watch it <laughs> it's fucking shit it honestly is absolutely terrible and um yeah I, I don't know how I, like i had to spend especially the last few episodes i spent just fast forwarding bits i couldn't sit there and watch the whole thing i was like i can't i can't get put put myself through this i just fast forward most of the bits i was like by the end i was like oh is that, what, is that how it ended okay cool whatever she gets some like uniform that she wears like she looks like a gladiator she kind of looks like a wrestler or something right she like she gets given this outfit that she has to it's like yeah i don't know it's just it's pants it's fucking pants and again she's got no superpowers but she can beat up everybody it's like huh okay cool whatever you say whatever you say one show that is absolutely amazing is for all mankind season four just wrapped up 
for Mankind season four has just wrapped up and it legitimately is one of the best TV series, especially in this, within the sci-fi genre that I've seen in a hot minute. It's absolutely fantastic. It ended amazingly strong. And if anything, I think this show is kind of feels like a prequel, oddly enough, to the shit that happens in the expanse. You know, with the whole Belta and stuff, right? Um, with this whole beef between Mars and Earth and shit. It kind of feels like, if you think about it, For Mankind could also be a prequel to The Expanse. It kind of could be the same sort of, you know, thing in terms of, you know, fighting for the resources, um, you know, putting money on things, the battles, the politics. Like, like it's really fucking good. I really recommend you check it out. It ended incredibly well. Um, the plots, um, the plot lines are tying together really well. I would have wished they would have maybe explored more this idea that maybe there might be life on Mars and shit. That might be absolutely great. Um, I love that maybe the next season we're gonna you know get some really telling things happen especially now that you know spoiler alert the asteroid is being kind of more geared towards um what you call it the orbit of mars as opposed to go back to earth so they can mine that and shit that's going to be quite great to see um and yeah man some obviously tragic deaths happen throughout the entirety of the show which you probably have to check out to see yourself but i think it is actually one of the better sci-fi shows i've watched in a fucking long fucking time so if you're a fan of sci-fi like myself i really recommend you check out for all mankind available on apple tv and of course most places where you watch stuff online but i do recommend i do recommend please for the love of god you check out for all mankind for all mankind is absolutely incredible viewing i do recommend you check it out i really really do next on the list we got this regarding the verge the verge put this article together and i've actually checked out the video myself but um obviously ces happened the other day and a lot of kind of cool gadgets kind of propped up there i think i, I should have actually spoke about that flipping tripod there's a really cool tripod that some company made i think it's belkin or something essentially it can auto track you so it's a tripod that you can use your phone with and essentially if you're doing like content online like youtube tiktok whatever maybe and you want to record you know yourself i don't know cooking dancing whatever you're doing online it can actually like follow your movements it can track you like it's absolutely amazing um little um you know tripod which i think a lot of content creators like myself or maybe others that do more of that kind of you know uh, portrait style content shit will probably be um on top of getting but one thing that i really liked was this ai um gadget that this company called rabbit have put out called the r1 I'm not just sure if you guys have seen this. It's really flipping cool. The first thing I love about it is just the design. It's made by this company called Teenage Engineering, um, who are known for making really, um, you know, amazing, bespoke, super, really well-made and designed um, audio equipment, basically, like speakers and whatnot. They've got a really cool set of headphones also. So um, this company called Rabbit, um, AI company, pa um, partnered up with Teenage Engineering to put together this kind of, you know, this unit. Um, maybe it's like a smartphone s type of phone but essentially it's like a digital companion essentially right it's like a companion for yourself or an, an ai assistant for lack of a better term but the really amazing thing about it is that if i'm not mistaken um this is more of a an assistant because it actually has the ability for to actually finish tasks for you so it's not just something about gathering information. It's actually got a language learning model that allows you to actually kind of book an Uber to be able to kind of, you know, ask the, ask the assistant 
to flipping, you know, get you a pizza and just, you know, and decide which one that they should probably get to you based on your taste and your interest to recommend certain things. It could kind of follow through the entire thing in terms of just kind of giving you bits of information. You have to prompt it. It can kind of definitely give it to you along the way. And I do like how the interfaces work through. The interface works like a walkie talkie where you essentially press this button here on the side and then you can kind of prompt, um, you know, the AI assistant and then kind of speak to it in your normal voice you don't have to use a special hello rabbit type of thing you don't have to speak in a certain cadence you can just ask the questions that you want to ask and obviously um the rabbit can respond the way it responds um but i've got a clip here that i clipped from the actual long presentation um itself of the founder actually talking about it that can give you a better idea of how it kind of works so let's play the clip here so you can see why I'm so excited about this R1 um, AI assistant and why I'll probably end up getting one myself because this is really flipping cool. I'm not going to lie. For services and logging through them to get authenticated on your device, it's that easy. Now, let's play some music. Play Craftworks Pocket Calculator. Playing Pocket Calculator by Craftwork for you. Play another song from the album. Sure, playing Computer Love for you. That's all the tracks from the same album. Who wrote the lyrics for this song? Ralph Hutter and Emil Schultz wrote the lyrics for the song Computer Love by Kraftwerk. Which band sampled this song? It seems that Coldplay's Talk is the only known example of a song that sampled Computer Love. What do you think about this song? Computer Love by Kraftwerk. Yeah, big up, Cloud Culture Drop. Yo, big ups. Happy you could join me and the fam on some Saturday errands. Oh yeah, big up, Chocolate Drop. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining the stream as well. Big up the fam. Hope the errands go well, my thing. Big up, big up. Thank you for the super chat is widely regarded as a groundbreaking and influential song in the realm of electronic music. Its fusion of catchy melodies, robotic vocals, and innovative use of synthesizers has left a lasting impact on the genre. I can also use R1 to call a ride. Get me a ride from my office to home now. Of course, I will book an Uber ride for you from your office to your home. Please confirm the ride. I have six people with three luggages. Find me Uber that can fit all of us. For six people and three pieces of luggage, I recommend booking an Uber XL, as it provides ample space for all passengers and luggage. Please confirm the ride. The ride shows up, I just hit confirm. Uber's on my way. I can also use R1 to order food. Get me a 12-inch pizza from Pizza Hut delivered to here. The most ordered option on the app is fine. Ordering a 12-inch pizza from Pizza Hut. Since you mentioned that the most ordered option is fine, I will select that for you. I just created an order for a 12-inch pizza. It's going to be hand-tossed with a classic marinara sauce and topped with regular cheese. Please confirm your order. That sounds really good. I just confirmed the order here. your preferred services and logins through them? So, as you can see... What makes this really amazing is that, as somebody pointed out in the chat, the founder himself has a very thick accent and he's able to basically, you know, um, 
tell the AI what he wants to be done and the AI completely understands it without him having to speak in a certain cadence, speak very slowly, use certain prompt words. It kind of understands his quote unquote natural language, which is one of the key things that I kind of like about it. The other thing that I also love, 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 love about it is the fact that the hardware itself is pretty plain. It kind of is meant to sort of replace your phone. I guess if you wanted it to technically, if you could, you could just make this an app. But I do love the idea that it kind of takes away from your phone and that level of distraction. Because I think in general, this as much as the smartphones aren't the issue, it's obviously the apps and the social media side of things that just make them a little bit of a time sink, right? They make them really hard to sort of like put away. They make them really hard to sort of focus on tasks and kind of live your life in whatever it may be. I love that the fact that this AI assistant is there for you when you need an assistant, but it isn't meant to be something that you just stand there using all the fucking time, right? That's not the thing that it kind of works. It kind of works better because um, it just basically uses itself as an assistant. And that's basically most of the main kind of um, prompts that I sort of like about it. and of course the design itself the fact that it's got this kind of cool walkie-talkie design where you can kind of you know press the button here on the side and raise it to your mouth and speak to it as well I love that that kind of changes the utility of using it itself it's not just kind of like a standard sort of smartphone design with the same sort of like you know rectangular square thing with a touch screen it just requires a different sort of type of vibe I think that kind of changes um, how you use it on a day-to-day basis but let's actually read a bit of the article here on the verge that kind of gives a little bit more of uh, blood of what it kind of is about um and also the price itself 100 $199 is also really really good it says here jesse liu the ceo and founder of ai startup rabbit says he doesn't want to replace your smartphone he at least not right away his company new gadget the 199 standalone ai device called the r1 is so staggeringly ambitious that liu seems to think he can't help but replace your phone at some point just not quite yet um oh shit they're already sold out as as of the 10th of january rabbit announced the 10,000 units of the r1 has already sold out and now it's making pre-orders for the second shipment in spring amazing the r1 looks like a little playdate console or maybe a modernized version of the 190s era handheld tv it's a standalone gadget of half the size of an iphone with a 2.8 inch touchscreen and a rotating camera for taking photos and videos and a scroll on a wheel button to press and navigate around and to talk to the device on the built-in assistant it has 2.3 gigahertz mid tech process processor a four gigabyte of memory and 128 gigabyte of storage all inside of a rounded body designing collaboration with design firm teenage engineering all rabbit um, says the battery it lasts all day i spent a few minutes with the r1 after rabbit's launch and it's an impressive piece of hardware only one device was actually functional and even that one couldn't do much because of the spotty hotel wi-fi but the r1 is surprisingly light it's much nicer than it looks in pictures its buttons are clicky and satisfying which is no surprise from the teenage engineering and the whole thing fits in nicely into my grip as you can see there for the pictures it looks fucking beautiful to be fair as a, as a piece of design it looks absolutely incredible there I'm not going to lie. It looks really fucking good. Um, what's the screen saying in the back here? Way more faster and more intuitive. Um, teach mode can do things that a phone could never will. 
unless he's got a camera as well and a touchscreen. Um, the software inside Rabbit is a real story. Rabbit's operating system called Rabbit OS and the AI tech underneath. Rather than chat GPT like large language model, Rabbit says the OS is based on a large action model. See, that's the main difference. It's a large action model. And the best way I can describe it is that the sort of universal controller for apps. We wanted it to find a universal solution just like the large language models. How can we find a universal solution to actually trigger our services regardless of whether you're a website or an app or whatever platform or desktop which is the real genius part of it to be fair um it continues in spirit it's an idea similar to alexa or google assistant rabbit os can control your music order your car buy your groceries send your messages or more all for a single interface no balancing apps and loggings just ask for what you want and let the device deliver the r1's on-screen interface will be a series of category-based cards from music to transportation or video chats and Liu says the screen mostly exists so that you can verify the model's outputs on your own so so obviously it's based more on just you, you it's obviously geared more towards you talking to the assistant and obviously getting it to complete your task as opposed to you browsing around and kind of fidgeting with the touchscreen. The touchscreen dash there is like a confirmation, you know, window or something or screen itself. And you see here the design in the back. Um, again, you know, being a being a bit of a pro design freak, the I've always been interested in making sure the design of a product is amazing on the front, on the back and on the inside. And this is obviously proof of it. Like, look how beautiful that looks at the back. You got the little speaker here. You got the little scroll touch wheel thing. You've also got the camera that can flick around. It looks absolutely brilliant at the back as it does at the front. Love it. It continues. Rather than build a bunch of APIs and try to convince developers to support the R1, though, Rabbit trained this model on how to use existing apps for itself. Um, the large action model or LAM learned what the settings icon looked like, how to know when an order was confirmed and where the search menus are. All of that, Liu says, um, can be applied to any app anywhere. The R1 also has a dedicated training mode, which can use um, to teach the device on how to do something. And it will supposedly be able to repeat the action with its own going forward. Liu gives an example. You'll be like, hey, first of all, go to a software called Photoshop. Open it. Grab your photos here. Make a lasso and a watermark. Click, click, click. This is how you remove a watermark. It takes 30 seconds for RabbitOS to process, Liu says, and then it can automatically remove your watermarks going forward. How all this actually works in practice, though, is a real question. You'll be able to do some things with the R1 itself, and there's a web there's a web portal called Rabbit Hole through which you can log into your various services. And um, if you say that teach the device how to use Photoshop, you'll be able to boot one of Rabbit's virtual machines and teach it rather than using your own device or software but how will it work with other users and devices and platforms will be tricky to get right rabbit's approach here is pretty clever getting people getting anyone to support a new operating system is tough even if you're a tech giant and lamb um way subverts that by teaching the model how to use the apps more broadly big up eric c big up eric c manchester is blue blue heart uh, trophy blue heart oh, actually, um, trophy what's blue heart trophy big up eric c what's the score actually it's actually 2-2 two, two, i think isn't it right last time i checked is it 2-2 two, two? against man city it's actually quite it's been been quite a good game i'm not gonna lie i watched a bit of the first half i watched the first half and obviously i had to kind of jump on stream here and record the pod but yeah it's 2-2 two, two still at the moment so i guess manchester is halfway blue halfway blue it's halfway blue halfway black or white but big up eric c big up eric c moving on 
listening to Liu talk about the Rabbit OS and the R1 though, it's not mere, it's not entirely clear what the company's vision for the device really is. It's not nearly powerful enough to replace your phone, though it can make video calls and does have a slot for a SIM card. It's primarily a voice assistant, but the device has a screen and a camera. It's not just a voice assistant, but it does have a voice assistant things. Rabbit says it has designed Rabbit OS with the security and the privacy in mind. It also is asking you to log in at some point. The R1 in Lou's view sorry, is both a nifty accessory and an all-in future of pretty much everything. That's probably why I think it's great because I think it's going to evolve over time. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think the fact that they don't know what it's actually going to end up being in the end is a bad thing. I think overall it's going to evolve and people are going to learn how they're going to use it and what the best case scenario is for it. And then over time, that will obviously inform how, what direction the company goes. And I think that's obviously the beauty of having a startup. You can kind of change direction, change course along the way and learn in real time. So I don't think there's any you know issue with that. I think if anything, this speaks to the bigger conversation around AI and how difficult it is to kind of wrangle as to what the, you know, as to how it can be used to its best. Like what are the actual use cases for using AI? Do you use it mainly as a platform to kind of, you know, um, start ideas from, right? Like myself, like if I'm thinking of maybe doing a DJ mix, maybe I would go on and, you know, on a, on a chatbot and maybe, you know, ask the chatbot to put together a list of options in terms of tunes that I may, may like that might sound similar to something I was going to play. And that might be a launching off point for me to then dig in and check for other tunes in my library or from my own mind I can think of maybe it's a it's a design assistant right maybe it can kind of do some of the laborious kind of heavy work for you when it comes to design and then some of the creative free sort of like expressive shit you can do on your own who knows and maybe the assistant thing's a good thing maybe there is a future where um, AI assistants work hand in hand with smartphones or maybe you have them separate maybe you do have a separate smartphone and a separate AI assistant me personally I prefer that I would actually love to go back to a world where we had separate yo big up um high def finger super chat brother big up high def uh, no message there but big up high def for the super chat appreciate you brother thank you for tuning in um i would actually like to go back to a world and i've said this previous previously before i would love to go back to a world where we have separate music players because I feel like nowadays I don't listen to music just as enough or as enough, enough as I should, mainly because I'm constantly on my phone and I'm too distracted, um, you know, what checking shit on social media and doing all sorts of other stuff and browsing on the internet. I think I listened to far more music when I had a dedicated iPod that I used to kind of, you know, download music onto and shit all the freaking time, as opposed to being on your phone and, you know, browsing other things and get distracted and all this malarkey because essentially your phone is one big you know distraction device and doesn't really allow you to sort of like do anything else apart from that most of the apps that are built on there also are kind of built around the idea or the main premise behind it is to make sure that you keep their app open for as much as possible so maybe um this whole separate ai assistant thing whether it's the you know humane pin or all these other companies that exist i actually do like that they are doing um this level of thing where it's kind of like an it's a separate assistant because don't get me wrong there is i can understand people who look at this thing and think it's useless even i've seen somebody here saying um from z saying that it looks like an unfinished prototype I can understand why people feel that way because the use cases for it aren't really clear. It's not really clear why you would need this, why it couldn't just be an app 
or whatever it may be. I think I saw somebody even on social media, some guy, um, I think managed to find a way to boot the entire operating system on like an Apple watch or something. Right. So obviously clearly people are like, you know what? I don't like the hardware, but the, op the operating system is pretty cool. I love the, you know, the AI as well. Um, the like large action model is actually something that I would actually want to use. Let me boot it on an iPhone or let me boot it to a flipping, um, Apple watch. I understand it, but I actually like it being separate. I like the fact that I have a separate device that isn't my phone that isn't a distraction machine and that I could just use as a as a virtual assistant in the same way you know an actual assistant wouldn't tell you hey just google it you know if you had an, if you actually had the assistant that you hired and you wanted to say hey could you tell me something whatever the question is they wouldn't reply back just google it yourself or something their whole job is to be the person that kind of you know follows through on the stuff that you don't want to do yourself so that you're free to do other things you know that you maybe should be concentrating more on so i don't really mind that too tough and again design wise i think it's fucking beautiful and it's just something that you know as a tech junkie myself i would love to just have in hand and own because that looks flipping cool that red that iconic sort of like red color um sort of similar to like the apple you know project red thing that they have going on um the click wheel thing which you scroll around with on the phone here that's a really cool design the walkie talkie button at the side that you press to kind of call on it is pretty cool and of course the camera as well i'm a big fan of so the design wise i love um i love the you know the prospect of what it could be of how it could be used and I just think the idea of having a virtual assistant in your pocket that could actually finish tasks, that could actually book a holiday. Like, the, I guess the use case scenario for me would be, you know, booking a spontaneous trip and it could actually follow through and book the entire thing from the hotel to the Airbnb to maybe the car hire, you know, to the flight. Everything could be done without you having to kind of be constantly talking to the AI, you know, all the time. And it kind of figuring out certain things is absolutely cool. I fucking love everything about it. I'm not going to lie. That's definitely something that I would definitely use um, on a daily basis if I actually had it. So big up, Rabbit. Love the R1. It looks really, really cool. Cannot wait to see when actual real people end up using it and how it actually works in the real world. Cannot wait to see. Moving on. So I didn't mention this before because I think I maybe just had forgotten. I didn't really know what the flip was going on. But I'm sure most of you guys are aware that um, Givenchy, no, Alix founder, sorry, um, Alix founder Matthew Williams, who was recently appointed as a Givenchy men's um, creative director, has unfortunately left, um, which is an odd bit of news, right? Odd, strange bit of news that he stepped down from Givenchy because I thought he was doing a pretty decent job there. But obviously, um, he left under a cloud of some level of certain, um, uncertainty. I'm not too sure if he left because the sell. Yeah, I'm not. I would say I'm not too sure. I think it's fairly safe to say. The reason why he probably left Givenchy is because the sales weren't good, right? Um, they don't really let go. Most of these fashion houses don't let go of a designer if they're, you know, hitting their targets sales-wise and whatnot. It just doesn't make any sense. If you're making their money, why would they let you go? So most likely it's a sales thing. But from the time that he started at Givenchy, I think a lot of the fashion people out there weren't necessarily fans of him. I think maybe um, the way that he designs, maybe his personality, maybe the the fact that they weren't big fans of Alix in the first place. I don't really think he was ever given a fair shot, a fair crack. He was almost kind of, um, people were kind of rooting for him to kind of fail before he even started, which is, I think, kind of unfair when you compare him 
to the other people who are maybe a little bit more loved within the fashion space, like, you know, Simon Port from Jack Moose, who I feel like hasn't had a good collection um, under Jack Moose for maybe, you know, three or four seasons. It's been pretty shocking, the stuff that he's been putting out. But people don't say nothing because, you know, he's the kind of Bella the Dance or whatever it may be. So Matthew Williams gets a lot of unnecessary stick um, for his stuff at Givenchy, which I thought was really strong. Um, I thought he did a lot of good work in terms of bringing Givenchy men's especially back into the cultural zeitgeist you had people especially influences and a lot of cultural icons and whatever it may be you know flying around the world to go and attend flipping Givenchy shows um the campaigns were really good the runways um the runway collections or the shows themselves sorry were really amazingly um, well put together also um and I thought again he did a good job if it was for a creative director that has no formal design or formal fashion experience for him to come into a house like Givenchy and be able to kind of bring it back into um you know the cultural zeitgeist bring it back into the cultural conversation or the fashion conversation did he did really really well so i think he should have maybe got a little bit more time to flesh out his vision but of course in the world of fashion much like impression of football you don't get time just for the sake of getting time you have to earn it right and every season you start again from scratch same with football every season you start from scratch what you did last season doesn't necessarily count you kind of have to just keep you know it's constantly keep improving constantly keep adding to what you did previously and constantly just keep breaking records and hope along the way that maybe just maybe just maybe that may be able to save um your flipping job so there's an exclusive article here courtesy of gq where matthew williams himself here pictured here in his portrait you know if there's one thing about matthew similar to samuel ross i don't think there's a camera matthew williams has not fucking pulled the zoolander kind of pose on right he fucking loves the camera he's not shy of taking his picture and letting you fucking see his grill so matthew williams in the profile here courtesy of Givon of sorry of gq um kind of speaking about his next chapter here and kind of maybe giving us an insight as to maybe why he stepped down from Givenchy why now he's focusing more on Alix even though the Alix thing is interesting because before the Givenchy announcement came about there was an announcement that he sold the majority stake in his brand and Alix was the brand that he launched um kind of in collaboration with his ex-wife kind of not really but you know they, that's kind of how it started and I think if, it was, if I'm not mistaken it was kind of named after his daughter as well so it's got a lot of you know there's a lot of personal um relationship um, attachment um with this kind of brand and it kind of launched his career essentially kind of put him in to the conversation to be considered for the Givenchy job so I find it strange that he would sell the majority stake for his literal baby but I guess maybe in terms of growing the brand and maybe expanding and maybe you know to the point where they have actual retail stores maybe they start hitting different markets maybe the manufacturing and production just ramps up in general maybe you do need to sell um you know the majority stake of the company to some foreign investor for it to kind of really get to the next level so that might be the reason why but let's read the article itself so you can kind of get an idea on what's going on for his next chapter so cursor of gq Two weeks ago, Givenchy announced that Matthew Williams was stepping down as creative director after a three-ish years. The departure had been rumoured for some time, but I, for one, was surprised or at least disappointed by the news, myself included. Creatively, he had just hit his stride at the Audrey Hepburn-linked house, which he overhauled and reintroduced to the generation that bumps to Dilate rather than Moon River. As his predecessor, Chris... Um, 
Claire White Geller um, discovered three years is not a lot of time to turn around a battleship by Givenchy but 2023 is a breakthrough Williams needed his men's collection had a real sense of clarity thanks to the compelling blend of couture craftsmanship and SoundCloud styling you know what's been really surprising though I was surprised he didn't get more time when you consider how bad that Claire White Keller um, era of Givenchy was received by a lot of fashion people because looking back at it it actually wasn't that terrible but a lot of the fashion Twitter people or you know commentators out there that didn't like Matthew Williams or also people that would you know that spoke quite negatively about the Claire White Geller era so it's strange really it's really strange because the only really relevant era of Givenchy that people still kind of look back you know with kind of you know rose-tinted eyes is obviously the fucking um, what you call it um is obviously the 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 ricardo tishi era right the ricardo tishi era was brilliant but again you know that was a bygone era that's never coming back ricardo tishi himself has kind of fallen off a cliff design wise so i find it interesting that matthew williams wasn't given a lot more grace in that respect but anyway continues um but it seems Williams has already been planning on building a vision elsewhere. The news of his departure broke just news um, weeks after Williams confirmed that he had secured investment for a deal of his own brand, 1017 Alix 9SM, with Hong Kong-based luxury tycoon Adrian Cheng. So I guess we can, it's fair to assume the first retail store, the first brick-and-mortar Alix store would definitely be in Hong Kong, right? Or, right, we can definitely assume it will be somewhere in Hong Kong or somewhere in Asia, most likely most likely right um it continues though i was rooting for williams at Givenchy. okay i've just seen the score here um, man city won 3-2 against newcastle and the full-time tweet here says the kevin de bruyne show is back in town that's why you know arsenal are never winning the league in it really and truly man city had this guy this guy in a hyperbolic chamber he was out the majority of the season Kevin De Bruyne comes back and all of a sudden he turns around this match which they were losing at half time, gets them winning, and now most likely they'll probably win the league again. You know what I mean? That's the that's the fucking the cruel reality of Man City. They just got too many good players. You know what I mean? Too many good players. Haaland is out, Kevin De Bruyne's on the bench, he comes on, scores the equalizer, and then I guess sets up the winner as well. It's just like it's not fair. Anyway, continuing. Though I was rooting for Williams of Givenchy, it's hard to deny that Alex might have been more energy behind it. A few months ago, I happened to run into Williams at the Dimes Deli in New York in Chinatown. Matthew Williams hangs out in, hangs out in Dimes Square. That's fucking hilarious. He was wearing Alex and in town to celebrate the brand's ultra buzzy collaboration with Audemars Pigot. Um, outside the cafe, two twenty somethings in town from Utah stopped to ask for a selfie. I didn't hear them mention Givenchy, but they were dressed in techno workwear that looked directly downstream from what Williams has been doing at his Milan-based brand since 2015. His most recent Alex collection was also excellent, um, technically accomplished. Williams is a true nerd of fabrics and hardware and tapped into the real brands of U-Style. To be fair, when Matthew Williams did get announced as Givenchy founder, I think I said to myself on the stream, I didn't know why he took the job. Sorry, as creative director, I didn't know why he took the job. I said, I thought it would be much more beneficial for him to just focus on Alix because I generally, as much as I'm a big fan of Matthew Williams, I think it's really difficult for anybody, especially somebody that isn't formally trained, to balance two creative director jobs it's kind of hard to do almost impossible that's why you know the people that do do them or that did do them in the past you think of people like you know um 
I can't think of it. it comes to mind. Flip. I can't remember his flipping name. But the ones that have done them in the past have been heralded as some of the greatest designers in the world because to be able to kind of, you know, have two very distinctly different visions for two different, differently distinctive brands or houses is very difficult to do, especially season in, season out with the demands, you know, of designers have on them with the fucking resort collections in between, with the collaborations or whatever it may be. It's just something that is inherently, inherently difficult. So I was never really that big on him taking a Givenchy job. But obviously, um, as a designer, as a creative, it's impossible to turn down that role. And obviously for him, it probably puts you in a whole different conversation. Maybe you don't get the investment from Alix, you know, without the exposure um, that the Givenchy role gave you. And obviously you learn a lot as well, right? Working, you know, with an artillier, working with a fucking, working working with Couture, but not showing Couture might actually be um, beneficial also. And just the experience that you learn from working within that side of fashion with a capital F is definitely things that you can't really buy. So I understand why he did it. But I think in general, he probably should have focused on his own brand because I think Alix has got far more cachet on the quote unquote streets. The kids care way more about Alix than they do anything about Givenchy really for the biggest, you know, and until somebody actually comes in and actually revives that brand to a level that it probably deserves. I think most kids out there, especially kids that follow Matthew Williams uh, as a person, I probably care way more about, um, you know, Alix as opposed to Givenchy most likely. But again, I could be wrong. It continues. I didn't hear them mention Givenchy, blah, blah, blah. Um, What's that? Da, da, da. Though the terms of his deal with Cheng were not disclosed, the partnership could be a game changer for Alix. Cheng, a young billionaire property developer and entrepreneur with a taste for art and fashion, might not be a widespread a widespread name recognition, but he's a heavy hitter. I just saw how heavy firsthand earlier, a few weeks ago in Hong Kong, where Louis Vuitton partnered with Cheng to pull off his epic pre four men show. Wow. So that guy was the one that did the show with them. He partnered with them to do that show that was on a boat or something. The runway um abuted his K twelve, his K eleven more, a massive modern um edifice of culture and commerce, and Chen co-hosted off the party at an adjacent hotel he owns. So he did the runway show at a mall he owns, and the party was at a hotel he also owns. God damn, this Adrian Chen guy is fucking balling. Let's see what this K eleven more actually looks like. K level was it in Hong Kong, right? Let's see what this shit looks like because God damn, he's balling. Hong Kong, right? Let's see what this fucking looks like. Come on, sir. It's in Hong Kong. Let's see what this shit looks like. It's gone images. I'm guessing it looks like any other shopping mall, but I just want to see the scale of it. You know what I mean? Like the pure, the unadulterated scale of this mall. That's what I really want to see. Let's see here. Ba, 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 ba. The K11 Art Mall is a seven-story shopping mall. Seven stories in in Tizim Ta in Tizim Hong Kong, located in the masterpiece developed by New World Development and a completed in December 2009. It is near the body hell, bro. Jesus, seven stories, you know, seven stories more. Imagine that. God damn. Okay, can we go to images? Can you show me the fucking pictures of what it looks like, please, Google? Is that possible? If I have to get an R1 and let it know for sure. Wow. <laughs> this looks incredible, bro. It's just like a celebration of glass. Right? Glass and still everywhere. Loads of amazing lights. It's almost got these weird ball designs on the inside as well. I'm not so sure if these are lifts 
it's just like a separate cafe area but i love these kind of protruding internally protruding ball things on the inside of the actual shopping mall itself loads of natural light is coming in it looks like it looks like a kaleidoscope prism and shit with all the light that kind of leaks through which is kind of cool and of course all the quality shop all the quality um shops everywhere on the inside as well but yeah a seven story mall is fucking wild isn't it seven stories is like god damn how much shopping is enough shopping but yeah, cool. So big up Adrian Cheng. So it continues. Um, on Wednesday afternoon, Williams described his move as a restart in a way. A new era for one. He's moving Alex to Paris. Wow. Okay. So it's completely changing. Because I always thought that Alex was based in Milan because of New Guards Group. I just assumed that Virgil Abloh RIP was involved in terms of helping him get, you know, spon- what get um, manufacturing production help or whatever it may be behind the scenes. I always thought that was a reason, but I get it's not. But that's moving to Paris. Okay, Williams joined the Zoom call from a table set uh, for lunch. A leafy Parisian rooftop view stretching behind him. It was his lunch break and the designer turned off his camera about halfway through so he could eat his meal. Williams has always expressed a curious mix of intensity and humility. He wears dark fashion and quotes Playboy Carti, but is also a mild-mannered dad. Um, The former Lady Gaga collaborator, obsessive design mind, launched him to the top of the fashion establishment. Blah, blah, blah. In Paris, his lunch is served to him on a fancy tableware okay cool let's leave you a fucking interview you're in this moment of transition right now how are you feeling how excited are you i feel great i'm super excited to have alix move to paris it's been it's been my move it's been my home for the past three years so he's been traveling between milan and paris fucking hell what a life mate some people have it well good in it jesus christ it's amazing city there's so much inspiration here also great people to work with building a next phase of alix after almost 10 years is really exciting i've always been very motivated and given lots of energy into alix but it's nice to have the restart in a way sometimes when you're doing something for so long in the same system there's not an opportunity to kind of reset and it feels great to be given that and to kind of take it and learning from the past decade and then begin he feels very enthusiastic and positive about it but maybe i'm a little bit cynical but i feel a little bit worried if you're if this guy is investing how much he's investing into the fucking brand i've got a feeling that there's going to come a moment where he's going to want to kick this guy out and just do things his own way because when you put the money up, you're kind of the boss in it. When you put the majority of the money up, it's basically your brand. And I would hate you for it to end that way. But Matthew Williams seems to be very, very enthusiastic about it, very happy about it. Um, but yeah, it, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a few years down the line, you see him leaving Alix and going to set up another brand because this Adrian Chen guy just takes over and starts to just, you know, do his own thing there. I don't know. It kind of feels like it, but hey, who knows? Can you tell me a little bit about the decision to step down from Givenchy? I mean, Alex is going to take a lot of my time and focus to push into the next chapter. So I want to be committed to Alex and give everything I need. It's going to take a lot of energy and love and care and support, which I've always given. You see, I don't like that answer because it's not the truth. Because the truth is most likely it's a mutual decision, but most likely Givenchy are the ones that didn't want to maybe extend his contract because he obviously didn't sell enough product, which is okay. I don't think it's a bad thing. Again, I'm a big fan of the guy as a designer, but I would love if there was a little bit more honesty in fashion when it comes to these sort of things. Like if somebody got fired for gross misconduct, say it. Like I know you, technically you can't, but you know at least leak it or something. Like not putting a cloud over somebody's head or making it seem like they did get fired because of gross misconduct or making it seem like they did get fired because they don't have the ability to design stuff that people want to buy. It's just annoying, you know what I mean? It's just not necessary. Um, I, I would much rather a little bit more honesty. Like what actually happened? 
did you get fired because of your poor performance was it you know were the sales targets unrealistic was there like internal beef did you maybe butt heads with some people you know in in fucking in head office that you probably didn't see eye to eye with which i could really understand to be a thing especially culturally and vibe wise you could probably understand why maybe some people you know some of the older folks maybe in Givenchy maybe didn't vibe with him too much especially his vision of what Givenchy could be especially when it comes to you know focusing a lot on the black people and the black culture and stuff maybe a lot of those guys didn't like that who knows but whatever the case i would love there to be a bit more transparency that sort of stuff but hey we'll never know it continues but did you find it hard in the last few years so but did you find it harder in the last three years to really give alex the focus and attention you wanted he says no 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 i had a lot of my attention i was traveling to milan a lot i love the work that we put in over the past few years but the kind of support that's being given also has to be met with the new energy new challenges etc etc so he says he wasn't so maybe that's why Givenchy suffered. Maybe he was spreading himself too thin. Maybe he was putting all his energy into Givenchy and all his energy when he was available into Alix. And maybe something had to give. So maybe he's saying the truth. Who knows? Tell me more about this restart and why you're moving Alix, to Paris, Alix Studio to Paris. Paris has become my home for the past three years and a half. And I love living here. My CEO lives in London. My kids live in London. It's just a nice proximity to everyone. Oh yeah, I think his kids live in London with them. The wife's new partner, which is uh, what's his name, Blondie McCoy, in it, which is a bit awkward because I think they used to be friends, so that must be a bit strange. But I guess it's nice to be close to the family. But I think in general, when it comes to menswear, anyway, um, outside of the streetwear bubble, um, Paris is a place to be. All the studios are there, all the showrooms are there. The biggest menswear show of the season is in Paris, also. So it does make sense if you're not like a North American-based brand, you probably should be based in Paris, really and truly. It does make a lot more sense. Or maybe London's second, but London's a bit shit to be fair. I know I live here, but London's kind of terrible. So if I had to pick somewhere to live, especially if I was, you know, um, if my if I had a passion for fashion, it definitely would be Paris. It continues. What else is going to change? What's new about how you're approaching the thinking about? Alex. being able to go being able to do retail now is really exciting he says you've come to showrooms or pop-ups that we've done over the years so you had the moments where you could have actually fill alix in the space and its full collection but that was really felt um but but that was re rarely felt at a wholesale level when you when you would go into an account that we sold with it would be kind of um, a piecemeal together so i'm really excited for everyone to experience alix in full space um, and to be able to focus more on some of the categories that I always wanted to expand on, accessories, jewelry, shoes, being able to really move, um, show an offering of those categories is really exciting me, um, exciting to me, sorry, and even launch to other zones. We've done stuff in music this year. I want it to continue to be a brand that's, that plays a lot of different spaces, cultural, um, and continue to use as a platform for the community that I love and support and co-create space support. Okay, this definitely explains why he did the investment then. Because this, you know, he's got different product categories he wants to move into in terms of accessories and jewelry and shit. There's obviously the option to have your own brick and mortar store, which is definitely going to happen. That's probably the first thing on the list. Most likely going to be in Hong Kong or somewhere else in Asia. And then, of course, there's the ability to do the other things as well, like the mixtape they put out recently and other bits and pieces that can only be done if you've got some real big investment in you. Again, it's kind of proof, again, why fashion is such a hard industry to break into because Alix, for me, isn't some buster you know, t-shirt brand. It's a legit fashion brand, a legit, maybe, I don't know, cut and sew, elevated streetwear, whatever you want to kind of term it, but it's an actual legit brand that sells stuff. And still he couldn't, 
just fund it himself through the sales or the profits of the company. There had to be external investment coming in. So it kind of shows just how expensive it is um, to run a fashion brand on a somewhat, you know, on that kind of level, especially if you have really big ambitions, it's kind of hard to do it without any big investment. Um, that kind of explains a lot of why people do take investment um, when it comes to their brands and why the ones that don't, you have to kind of give them a lot of respect because it's really hard to not to do so. Um, right. You could say in recent years, Elix has matured into the more of a lifestyle brand. I suppose retail is the final piece of the puzzle. How did the partnership with Adrian come together? We originally met through Days Media founder Jefferson Hack. Oh, big up to Jefferson Hack. That's a fucking OG. Big up Jefferson Hack. Um, he might be part of the reason, or he, he's probably my muse when it comes to the return of Indie Sleaze. I remember I was obsessed with Jefferson Hack back in the day, but I'd read all these fucking interviews and whatever it may be. And then I still remember that legendary interview that he did with um, Shows studio where the woman was grilling him super hard on there it was, it was kind of a combative interview but big up Jeff jefferson hack absolute legend um we originally met through jefferson hack in 2017 2018 and adrian was visiting milan and we met for dinner and then we continued to become friends over the years adrian's really involved in the arts and a big supporter of the artists and cultural projects and i already um, really admired that about him i think he has incredible taste so we hang out a lot and just talk about things that we're really inspired by and he was visiting paris and just came over to my house to catch up i mentioned that i was speaking to different partners for alix and he was like oh that could be cool to do together send me over the info and then slowly the conversation grew into being that what it is today but it began with friendship and mutual admiration for each other so there's been a lot of inspiring conversation that's quite cool isn't it they were friends they were at home chilling you know wrecking up some lines together eating some fucking salad maybe doing some push-ups together some burpees and they decided hey you know what why don't I invest in your brand? I've got more money than God. Why don't I get involved? I love this. What learnings and ideas have you got, have you gained um, to bring in to Alex from Givenchy? I assume the experience was informative. He says, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he doesn't talk that well about Givenchy, does he? I've got a feeling it didn't end well. He doesn't really talk that glowingly about his time at Givenchy. I don't think it ended well at all. That's the feeling that I get. I don't think it ended well at all. I mean, yeah, it's been a massive experience for managing teams at that scale, working with traditional marketing, outdoor advertising, campaigns for magazines, and especially retail. That was just something I'd never worked in prior to Vigivancy. And so all of that experience has been huge. I mean, the level of accessories that I was making there, the control with women's wear, the shoes, the jewelry, all of that, and the skill set was so ramped up. The ability to create with engine for so many years, I learned so much. Okay, cool. Again, not a lot spoken about, you know, the great people there, but the learnings were there. Cool. So let's see if that elevates fucking Alex. It continues here. One thing I've been thinking about a lot, it's not super directly related to the transition, although it kind of is, is Bin Trill. You, Virgil, Heron Preston, really defined an era of American fashion on a global stage. In your mind, how did the experience of being in Bin Trill shape what you do and how you got to this moment? You know what, right? I'm, I hate they answered it that way, but you have to give a lot of respect to that Bin Chill era because those guys were able to achieve way more than what Bin Chill kind of looked like, you know, at the time that it came out. Like, I don't think anybody, maybe even themselves, could have ever envisioned that they would get to the the pinnacle, the top of the top of the fashion pyramid when they were doing this sort of shit, right? When they had this bin trill, this drippy, you know, Comic Sans type of font on shit, when they had the hashtags, when they had the fucking hats and, uh, you know, the 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 Chief Keith merch, the Travis Scott shit, like some of the DJ activations. I don't think any of these guys could have really seen a future 
where the bin chill thing would have taken them to you know becoming the force of nature they were whereas Virgil you know obviously RIP to him becoming the flipping career director at Louis Vuitton and obviously building from fucking Off-White Justin Saunders um, turning fucking Jound into one of the biggest brands out there and one of the coolest kind of you know collaborator incubators that exist from fucking Matthew Williams doing his thing with Alix and then going to Givenchy Heron Preston who I've never really thought of as a fashion guy getting into fashion for the first time then building up his brand to be really popular and then now recently i think he got the what well, he got appointed as i think the head of some h&m project or something right and then before that he was doing the gap thing so everybody here really did amazingly well for themselves off of the back of a really kind of basic um kind of um i wouldn't say ugly but a really a really a brand that didn't really age well you know it was really kind of a, for the moment it was kind of more of a cool cachet cultural thing none of the stuff they did was really kind of pushing the envelope of design really for the most part maybe some of the graphics were cool some of the activations they did i remember they did the activation actually inside some like store like a kind of like a in-shop store thing in, in new york somewhere that was kind of cool but again nothing was kind of you know nothing was crazy amazing in terms of the design they did but the the uh, success they were able to achieve off the back of that really doesn't get spoken about enough and i hope somebody does make a documentary about like how much these guys were able to achieve off of the back of you know starting from this sort of platform it really is a an example as to you know the only limits to your you know ability to succeed are really within your imagination really is like if you can you know taking what they did here like look at this bintro diamonds shirt like you know this is awful. Like Bintrill, the hashtag on the diamond, the diamond, like this is disgusting, right? <laughs> but somehow this shirt was one of the launching pads that took them to where going to where they're going. So big up Bintrill. But obviously, for some reason, I don't know what it is about these designers, but they always do this. Whenever they ask them these type of questions, it's as all it's as if they're always as if they're as ashamed of their origins. Whenever they ask one of these streetwear guys, oh, when they finally get into fashion, oh, how did the streetwear journey help you to get this fashion job? Like, not really. I don't make streetwear. It's like the same with this. Like, now, how did Bintrill help you? How, you know, the transition, da, 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 how did it inform you? I don't really see it as part of my stepping stone in my fashion career. Like, come on, Matthew Williams. Come on, Matthew M. Williams. Let's be for real. Would anybody have known who you were without Bintrill? Bintrill then led to Alix. Alix then leads to fucking Givenchy. Come on, brother. Let's be real obviously the lady gaga costume design era was obviously really important too but let's be trill like let's be trill actually right it started from bintrill then it went from alix then it went from don't, don't say it's a bad thing but maybe he's just ashamed of that era because the design was so shit i don't know but his answer is i don't really see it as part of my stepping stone in my fashion career it's really something fun i was doing with my friends and it was about music and having people of similar interests come together in a shared space in a shared environment i wasn't about it wasn't about DJing for money or even social media or whatever it was. It was just, um, we just wanted to hear music that we wanted to hear when we were going out. It was very pure. And that's what I really loved about it. I went to Bergheim a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Hello. Matthew Williams in Bergheim. Yeah, nice. And it was so nice to be there with nobody having their phone out. Everyone dancing. It's so rare to find a space um, where people are actually all dancing and present together these days. Everyone is so on their phone. And so, and, and so if anything, I think that was so great about being trill was it was really... It was a party that everyone was welcome to. 
I was playing, it was playing music that was really just living on the internet for the most part and playing in the physical world. It was really, it was, uh, it was really using Bintro as a platform to do collaborations with the brands and people that we love um, from a fashion perspective. Doesn't this sound like a fashion stepping stone? None of us really designed anything, but it was something that was, wasn't so precious. It was really free. All ideas were welcome. He starts off this answer by saying that it wasn't a stepping stone, but then he explains why it was a stepping stone. <laughs> it's like, come on, Matthew Williams, man. It was. It was a vibe. But I do agree with him, obviously, about the point about Berghain. That's obviously one of the main reasons why people like myself are obsessed with that club because there aren't really a lot of spaces that you can go to where people aren't just obsessively having their phone out especially when it comes to like a entertainment type arena it's just really difficult to go to places where people are just really kind of present and in the moment so that's part of the reason why that club is so amazing obviously the design of it the architecture the sound system the djs all that flipping add to it but for sure the element of just taking away your phone and again they don't take this thing that's funny about it they don't take your phone all they do is cover your phone lens camera and they say to you if you take that shit out and try and take a picture you're getting chucked out and you might get permanently blacklisted so that is obviously a fear and because it's so hard to get in why would you then get yourself chucked out because you won't take a selfie it doesn't make any sense but they don't even take your phone they just cover the lens of it but because they cover the lens of your phone it almost makes it you know it almost makes it redundant <laughs> you know it doesn't exist as a smartphone um because it doesn't have a camera anymore now the, ca the camera doesn't work the camera is covered by a sticker now it doesn't really count so you just you know you don't bother using it that's obviously the funny bit about that um but i do love um that he mentioned the stuff about hearing music out in the clubs that you would never hear and i think that's a one odd thing that i don't really understand about club culture in general and maybe that has to maybe that's more to say about the music that's been produced but i always found it interesting that especially in london even there's not a lot of nightclubs you can go to where you can hear somebody playing music that you hear on the internet like there's not a lot of clubs i can think of even club nights that if I want to hear Playboy Carti, if I want to hear Destroy Lonely, if I want to hear, I don't know, whatever, you know, um, ye, all these type of artists, there's not really places I can go to where I can hear it. You kind of have to do it yourself. You kind of have to just figure out, okay, cool. I can't have this. I can't hear this stuff out. I'm just going to create my own club night. But it doesn't really exist a place to hear it. And I don't know if that's more of a reflection on the music itself, not really kind of, you know not really maybe working in clubs so people don't play it or maybe just the demand isn't there i don't really know but i always found that very interesting like you can't really find spaces where you can hear that stuff played on a lot if anything a lot of the clubs especially in london that play hip-hop they mainly play a lot of old shit like when i say old shit i mean like stuff up until like 2015 2018 they don't really play a lot of like the current stuff now like if a new album drops you know and it's got a banger tune that everybody's fucking you know salivating over on social media you'll rarely hear it the following week you know in the club you don't really hear it a lot it's not really a thing which is really bizarre and i wish that would be different but it's not it kind of is what it is um but let's continue did that party at Bergheim remind you of Bintral parties? <laughs> Come on, bro. That's how you know you're talking to an American journalist. A Bintral party is not like a, a, a fucking Bergheim party at all. A Bintral party is like any other influencer activation, you know, store launch party that exists, right? Where people have their phones out and they're fucking taking pictures and they're all fucking, you know, 
in the moment trying to you know get you know try to make a moment at the moment like it's it's all about them all that sort of nonsense that's what it is and it's all about being seen as well whereas you know Bergheim raves or raves of that ilk are mostly about the music they're mostly about surrendering yourself to the you know to the environment being quite present and just fucking dancing your face off and not really giving a fuck that's what mostly about that's what most those parties are actually about so they're kind of different you know and of course pinchal parties are like kind of commerce as well it's a different sort of vibe right it's mostly like a commerce type of thing it continues here no it didn't but i had most fun i've had in many years at Berghain, and that was because everyone was present dancing they were there for the music it was pure it was super special um it was something super rare i don't know where else in the world you could do that um where you could go and do that anymore and again that's a sad thing about it that's why as much as it's great to go places at Berghain, I sometimes don't like going there too often because it can be make it really hard to party in places that aren't Berlin, especially in London, because it's a complete opposite of that place. Um, it can be make it really, really hard. It kind of sets your expectations really high. It kind of makes you feel as if like all places should be like that, but really and truly, they can't, right? Um, for much as I love Berlin, you can't really copy that lifestyle in London. It, you know, people here would die if they were able to party from Friday to Tuesday. They would honestly die, myself included. They would actually RIP. It wouldn't work. So I think the fact that that place exists and it's there and it's in a bit of a bubble is great because if you want to pop in and visit there, you can. But for the most part, I don't think the rest of the world could handle that level of debauchery, that level of, um, you know, that level of just nightlife, that level of party, that level of drugs, that level of drinking, that level of music um anywhere else i don't think it works but i think it works there because it just works there are you going to do an uh, are you doing an alix show in january what's the immediate plan no i don't know when our next show is going to be why is that there's just a natural period when we're doing business transactions um transitions like this and moving things to another country so it just makes sense for us to do it another day cool i like that but going forward you'll be showing in paris is yeah what do you next couple of weeks have in store for you how are you finishing up the year i'm going to hong kong on sunday to do a pop-up for the nike air force one collaboration at k11 and spend time with adrian and then from there we're going to go to bhutan what's up in bhutan i'm going to find out i'll let you know Okay, cool. He doesn't seem like the most chatty person in the world, but still, drop some good knowledge. Yeah, yeah, big up Rodeo Brito. Big up, big up my guy Rodeo. Um, but yeah, oh yeah, big, <laughs> big up Bobby Long. <laughs> ah, big up Bobby Long, what's good? But yeah, um, Matthew Williams sounds a funny guy, interesting dude. Um, again, I think the Alix sale has been explained here, um, basically. He wanted to grow the brand. He wants to open retail stores. He wants to expand into accessories and other product categories that he probably couldn't do himself because it just requires way too much investment and capital to put into it. Um, and obviously, now that he's experienced the Givenchy side of things, the cap fashion with a capital F, I think he's realized the grass isn't actually green on the other side. I think a lot of these guys, I think they do sometimes, you know, put fashion world on a pedestal. I think they kind of take their brands for granted they don't look at their brand as the equivalent of a Givenchy they just see it as like a a mediocre you know a mediocre kind of copy of those type of things when really and truly you're making your own history you're creating your own legacy um you're setting your own standards um you're writing your own story with your own brand uh, and you can kind of do it any way you want to do it so actually you know putting those brands on a pedestal is actually 
not a good thing because you know you're basically an employee if they want to get rid of you whenever they want to get rid of you they can you don't really have full creative license really um the parameters and the kind of you know the things that you have to kind of hit to kind of keep your job necessarily don't really align to creativity and full expression they're mostly business things there's obviously the element of working for a company and having to be a good employee and get along with people all these type of things that kind of you know aren't necessarily based on just the work that you do that can hamper or affect your ability to succeed so really focusing on your own brand probably is a way to go because you know you've got more room to kind of live there you're a bit of wingers dingus 35 this youtube content is truly <laughs> commendable and i must applaud them for the fantastic work i was introduced to this content this week and i genuinely appreciate and derive great satisfaction this meme is so funny man this meme is never gonna end <laughs> this meme is so good <laughs> this youtube content got me it's so it's never gonna die i hope it never dies i hope that meme never fucking dies 35 this youtube content <laughs> but big up wingus mcdingus appreciate you bro appreciate you um but yeah one thing last thing i want to mention about this this is another example as to why i think you have to give supreme a lot of props supreme started off they did a little bit of wholesale, a tiny bit of wholesale when they started. I think if I'm not mistaken, they were kind of sold in the original kind of union store um, and a few other stores around the world as well, right? But for the most part, they've always only sold it within their own retail stores, their own brick and mortar stores, right? They started a very small one store in New York and then of course, slowly but surely grew and expanded. And I think apart from Supreme being the premier streetwear brand and obviously in a league of its own, I think part of the reason why Supreme has been able to last this long at the top and maintain this level of appeal has been because they were able to create their world create their ecosystem and create their environment from minute one they already had a store they already was able to create an aesthetic a vibe about the brand based on the people that worked there based on the music that was played the interior design where the stores were located the pictures all this sort of shit revolved around being able to craft and kind of build your own world that people had to then visit you didn't you couldn't get the supreme experience in like a retail mall you couldn't get it in like a random store somewhere you had to get it by going to the retail stores and that kind of pilgrimage because like myself you know before supreme was listed on you know the europe side of things because you, you know the u.s store has been open for a while but the europe the europe's thing wasn't really a, a wasn't always there you had to kind of travel to the supreme stores if you want to buy stuff or get stuff delivered to you via proxy but when i first kind of made the quote-unquote pilgrimage to the new york store it really was something it really kind of gave you a a, a tingly kind of feeling to be able to finally go to the store that you only saw in magazines and magazine scans and youtube videos and whatever it may be to finally be able to step into that store and hear the fucking music blasting from the speakers see all the skaters that you see in lookbooks and kind of campaigns that you'd see modeling some of the things in there see all the other characters involved with supreme and the team behind them and stuff and the cultural scene and stuff and the art world design world, all that stuff being around there and stuff all that stuff kind of added to the actual brand so i think a lot of these brands nowadays are realizing that as much as it's great to start your brand off 
you know, being sold in all these big department stores and retail chains and shopping malls around the world and shit and having it ha be on the same rack as, a, you know, as Balenciaga and all this sort of nonsense. I think actually having your own retail store where you can actually tell your own story is actually far more important than having your brand stocked in a million different stores around the world that don't exactly, um, you know, kind of uh, align with your vision and aren't exactly um, focused on trying to um bring you know highlight your brand in the best possible way because you know no matter how big your brand is if it's if it's in a retail store somewhere it's just going to be on a rack right it's not going to be displayed the right way it's not going to be merchandised the right way um it's just going to be another t-shirt on a rack so if you actually do want to tell a better story if you actually do want to display it in a far better light you just need to have your own retail store where you can actually tell that story but obviously the risk is retail stores are really hard to get right they're really hard to make work um the investment is crazy and um there's no guarantee that even if you do tell the story right that people are going to give a shit so that's obviously the risk but i think brands are now seeing that risk is probably worth to take in the long term because that retail store thing really does um separate you from everybody else out there because you're able to kind of like i said create your own little world that people have to go and visit have to kind of immerse themselves in and you could obviously tell you could obviously have other things you know attached to it like you know store launches magazines that you sell in their books coffee whatever the fuck you do in the djs that play there in the corner artwork on the walls all these things can kind of inform the brand and kind of allow people to see the clothes that you have available on a rack in a different light because maybe there is a lot of work that goes into the hardware design of alix stuff maybe there's a there's a lot of like you know brainstorming um, and ideation that goes into some of their graphics that goes into some of the fucking the buttons they choose on their jackets the zips the finishes you know what i mean um whatever it may be but you don't see it because the jacket just listed on the store somewhere or it's just on a rack somewhere but maybe with the actual own retail store you can actually tell those more interesting stories and give people an insight into what kind of goes into making some of your pieces so they have a different appreciation for it and then they have a different sense of loyalty to the brand and it can be one of those brands that they can kind of you know grow old with over time that could be a thing that could be a thing but big up matthew williams really really cool interview there with jq gq jq Moving on, I have to give a big shout out to Michael Bibby. Um, it seems like um, Michael Bibby has come over the worst of it. Unfortunately, I think I think maybe a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, he got diagnosed with a brain tumor and it was looking kind of peak for the guy. But now it's been kind of announced here, courtesy of his Instagram, that he's now on the other side. Um, he came back for a um, comeback um, appearance that he did in Ibiza. We was able to perform um, once before there, as you can say there, One Life Live It which with a big smile on his face over there at DC 10 and Ibiza. That was amazing to see him there performing. And then, of course, we've got another pictures here as well of him in the hospital saying, enjoying life. Thank you for everything that gave me the strength um, to get to get here. You see another picture of him again outside the hospital where he was um, being, oh, sorry, on the beach here, um, obviously um, post-recovery, trying to get his bearings and stuff, relaxing and stuff, all these nice images of him. And then we've got some other pictures here also. Says, um, courtesy of the caption, says the final battle. After many months of fighting today, I start the last phase of treatment by having the bone marrow stem cell transplant. If it all goes well, this will be the final yet toughest part of my journey. It will be, it will hit, it will hit me hard and could take months of recovery, but the end goal is 100% cancer free. I pray every day that goes smoothly and I'll be out of hospital with you all again soon. Wish me luck and see you on the other side. So that's him obviously going through his treatment there 
So big up, um, um, what you call it, Michael Bibby. And then we got another one here that announces that he's cancer free. Um, it says here, cancer free after six months fighting. I lived the hospital officially in remission with no cancer in my body. To every person that sent me support, energy, strength to fight, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. To the staff at the Royal Marsden for literally saving my life, I will forever be in your debt. Thank you so much. I'm still very tired. I'm all lo- I'm I'm on a lot of meds. My body hurts. My hair is gone. But I'm excited to get home, process and heal, and prepare for the future with you all. So amazing to see. Like honestly, it was you know when you hear somebody getting a brain tumor, you rarely you know really see a good outcome on this. So the fact that it ended the way it ended is absolutely amazing. It goes to speak for his spirit. It goes to speak for his resolve that he was always very positive, always especially on social media, even at least always with a smile on his face and kind of really kind of ready to kind of put up a fight and to make sure that he kind of put his best foot forward and of course um, now it's been shown that he's now cancer free and he's now on the other side of his journey um, of recovery and getting back doing what he loves best behind the booth and shit which is obviously going to be amazing when he comes at it from a whole two whole different perspective um, than he was obviously before and a different level of appreciation from all the things that he was kind of fucking going through so big up him honestly it's amazing to see it really fucking is I think the video here at the end is of him um, obviously ringing the bell here at the hospital um, you know to announce that he's cancer free super 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 happy to see that from him as well so big up Michael Bibby big up Michael Bibby and then of course he also announced a special project um, happening um, I'm sure it's some sort of show a gig that's happening here called One Life Michael Bibby presents 2024 I'm not too sure if this means he's gonna be um, changing the outlook of his label and shit and moving things in a different direction or if this is just a different a one-off show that he's doing but he posted this on his Instagram recently um, regarding this One Life concert with this butterfly motif there and maybe symbolizing the fresh new start of him being reborn or whatever it may be. Who actually knows? Let's actually wait for this to kind of load. The computer's been gay. Bear with me a second here. Um, it says here, 2024, a celebration of life. One life, live it. Um, in link in bio. So I'm sure it's going to be some sort of event, um, a rave, I'm assuming, that he's going to be doing most likely. Um, I'm eager to see what he's going to do going forward because as much as I'm not a biggest fan of Tech House, it's no, you know, it's not, uh, it's not without the realms of saying that he definitely was one of the better DJs within the Tech House scene. So his presence was missed uh, out there because he definitely was somebody that I think was basically pushing the sound forward and kind of, you know, he had a different sort of vibe behind the booth. Definitely was a lot of groove installed in the stuff that he was doing. So I'm curious to see what direction he goes in um, now post-cancer, um, you know, um, post-cancer and being cancer-free. Does he change his outlook? Is he still going to be doing Tech House? Is he going to decide to go in a different direction and do entirely different type of genre of music? Will it not be music? Will it not be DJing? Will he go down the artist route? Not really too sure, but I'm eager to see what he actually does going forward. It's going to be pretty cool to see here. So um, this is the first access. Be registered for tickets and events here. You can sign up for the pre-registration, pre-register of this event that he's putting together. Most likely an event somewhere. Um, so yeah it should be a good one i'm assuming most likely it'll be a fully immersive thing maybe in a nice hot location somewhere maybe there'll be a lot of health and wellness attached to it also who knows maybe not because that also happens with people right well after they get a cancer um 
after they become cancer free sometimes it's not just you know going completely health and wellness nuts and only drinking green juice sometimes they do kind of lean back into all the bullshit they were doing beforehand because you know when you're going through that treatment probably the last thing you want to do is start eating salads you just want to go back and start gorging on all the horrible things because you were not unable to do it beforehand so i completely understand if that is the case and he wants to do that especially considering how hard it's been for him probably the last couple of years and stuff especially when you think about you know how hot his career was I felt like Michael Bibby kind of got a bit of a blow up around what the pandemic time. And that was also around the time that he got the fucking diagnosis. So just when he was really starting to go, you know, fucking, you know, he was really going sizzler. He was going really hot. He was really hot out there. Suddenly he gets a fucking cancer diagnosis. That must've been so gut wrenching. So it's good to see that he's on the other side and making amend, uh, making amends or making amends or coming around the men, getting mended, whatever the fucking term is. And hopefully we'll see some hot new fresh stuff from him coming forward. Moving on from that, we got this recent, <laughs> this recent post on the Reddit, on the Techno Reddit. Honestly, the Techno subreddit, is legitimately one of my favorite places to go to. I love reading some of the threads on there, some of the posts, because I feel like sometimes I can be a cynical, annoying, negative asshole. But some of the things that people complain about on this subreddit are so funny um, to see people complain about. But some of the observations are really on point too. So the other day I was browsing and I saw this post, right? And I was like, oh, this person's over-exaggerating. This person on the Techno subreddit, its title as follows. Just watch the recent Heron Sauna boiler room and check out DJ, Sa DJ Saliva's DJ set. Perfectly good mixing, top-notch vibes, but the presenter decided it was a good idea to start emceeing over the set like it's some hip-hop stuff or something. <laughs> totally ruined the vibe. What happened to the old boiler room? Who thought it would be a nice idea to shout stuff like, oh yeah, oh yeah, during the entire set? It looks like the person has zero idea about electronic music culture. Never been to a single rave. I wish Opium Hum never left. And I guess Opium Hum is that really miserable looking guy that was always at Berg, always at Boiler Room telling people to move. Remember that dude? He, he like, he kind of, it's kind of main character syndrome, that guy. He'd always be telling people to move out of the way of the DJ, but he would always also be there himself. Like, you know what I mean, it was kind of a little bit annoying in that regard, but you know. I get it. I get it. But he did run a tight ship. When he was at Boiler Room Berlin, he ran a fucking tight ship. He ran that shit like the fucking Navy. Like no random people in the DJ booth. Do you know what I mean? He was, he ran a fucking tight ship. So since he's been gone, cause I don't think he works for Boiler Room anymore. I'm not, I don't think so. Um, I haven't seen him in the Boiler Room stream in a while, but since he's not, on screen anymore and they've got other people introducing it number one the people that introduce it now are really cringe like the ones that introduce the djs are really fucking cringe they kind of feel like they want a, a bit of the fucking shine themselves like bro just introduce the person turn off your mic and walk off the stage we don't want to hear your fucking voice you know what i mean like, like relax um but you know whatever it continues people call me a gatekeeper sometimes when i present my opinion about hard tiktok techno genre but this stuff is completely ridiculous and i think most of the ravers in the place and the world would agree with me that emceeing has no place in any electronic music event right emceeing has no place in any electronic music event now when i saw this right my initial reaction was this is this is kind of racist. This feels a little bit racist. This feels a little bit hard Ari. This feels a little bit get off my lawn. This feels a little bit thin blue line, right? This feels a little bit go back to your country. <laughs> 
this feels this feels a little bit a little bit a little bit when it's white it's right you know this feels this feels a little bit Reebok classics with white socks this feels a little bit palace skateboards <laughs> this feels this feels a little bit stone island without the badge right d badge stone island jackets this feels a little bit umbro this feels a little bit lonsdale you know this feels this feels a little bit um the streets <laughs> this feels a little bit mike skinner <laughs> this feels a little bit you know what you call it one pint of lager and two packets of crisp love you know this feels a little bit not tonight but then you let a whole group like not tonight to the whole group of black guys queuing outside your club but then you let a whole group of white guys in you know this feels a little bit like no trainers allowed then you let some white guy in with balenciaga shoes in or balenciaga sneakers in this feels a little bit like that that's why i thought that's why i initially thought then i thought you know what let me actually go see the video of DJ Saliva playing, right? Amazing name, by the way. DJ Saliva, big up you. Love the fucking name. It reminds me of Earsnot, one of the co-founders of fucking um, Iraq, that fucking, you know, very influential graffiti crew and now brand. Um, I love, it's got a similar sort of vibe around it, right? DJ Saliva, Earsnot. I kind of love the name. So big up DJ Saliva. Then I went to check the video just to see what this person's talking about. I was like, you know what? That sounds kind of racist, bro. It sounds kind of like hard Ari. It sounds like you only want white people in the club. Then I pressed the video. I pressed play in the video. Goddamn noise, everybody. DJ Saliva. Here we go. Here we go, people. Let's get it. Uh, and join me on stage. Don't be scared. Join me on stage. Don't be scared. Join me on stage. So, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. Maybe they are right. Maybe they have a point in what they said. Maybe they have a fucking point. Maybe they're right. Right? Maybe they have a fucking point. Is it going to stop now? Are you going to stop or are you not going to stop? What's happening here? Maybe they have a point. I listened to that person saying, don't be scared, come on stage. Don't be scared, come on stage. I'm like, yo, can that bitch shut the fuck up? Can she shut the fuck up? Like, what the fuck is this? No, no. Don't start rapping over my fucking electronic beats while I'm rolling on fucking MDMA. While I'm fucking trying to claw myself out of a fucking K-hole, I don't want to hear you saying, don't be scared, come on stage. Don't be scared, clap your hands. Like, what? Like, let me hear you say, woo, woo. It's like, no, 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 no. Shut the fuck up. Don't ever do that again. Don't ever fucking do that again. Please, please, don't ever do that again. So maybe this poster isn't racist, and maybe they have a point. Maybe MCing doesn't belong 
on an electronic at an electronic music event even though electronic music is kind of you know the basis the foundation of it has a lot to do with mcs and rapping and you know live performances and whatever it may be or just somebody with a microphone especially when you when you think back to some of the old you know house raves of yesteryears and stuff um so there is something kind of maybe quite coded around the ideas of maybe not having black and brown people around these parties that's why some people don't really like the emceeing thing because i think if you're somebody that maybe um is introduced to electronic music via the lens of you know you, you the kind of the european lens of ha- electronic dance music maybe you don't really associate it with emceeing and shift but from the other side of things especially from the north america side of things even places like here in the uk um the mic has been almost a uh, mainstay in dj booths even here in the uk there are pubs still that have djs that play on fucking old cdjs that have microphones built into them and they kind of talk over the tunes like you would hear somebody at a fucking radio station it's almost kind of uh, an intrinsic part of our kind of culture but maybe in other parts of the world it's not so when you see somebody with a microphone it's like what the fuck is this you know what i mean i completely understand it but i think the the, the rapping excessively over people's beats especially sometimes i feel like on these boiler room sets the DJs don't know. It's almost like a surprise. The host is like, you know, doing what they're doing, but then the host gets excited. That's the annoying, that must be the annoying thing. If you don't agree to it beforehand, if you didn't agree to it beforehand, and then the person just starts rapping over your set, I'm going to be mad. I might punch you. I might turn around and punch you. Do you know what I mean? Or I might, I might just pull out the fucking mic cord. I'm not having you fucking rap over my shit. And we didn't agree to this beforehand. That might be the annoying bit. But if you agree to it, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing, really and truly. I think maybe it kind of, you know, people are just maybe not, as you know, um, expecting to see it because all they know from a dance music event is seeing a DJ behind a DJ booth. They're not really kind of accustomed to seeing somebody with a microphone and maybe the sound of somebody's voice actually snap it out of it. Because one of the things that might explain a lot of this is that a lot of people in dance music don't really like music that has vocals on it. You hear it a lot, when you, especially when you go to places like Berlin, you'll see it. You see people not respond well on the main Berghain floor if somebody's playing tracks that has a lot of lyrics and shit they don't respond but they don't really like it they want to just hear like beats like droning hard uh, you know hitting over hitting you over the back of your head kind of beats they don't want to hear somebody speaking or lyrics or singing whatever it may be they kind of maybe snaps them out of the mood that maybe is part of the reason of it let's play a little bit more of this little sweat here i want to see what else was said they say more don't be scared are you rapping here Come on, rap then. I like how you're not rapping over that, innit? You can't rap over that, innit? It's too fast, eh? Hey, hey, hey. Why are you not rapping over that? <laughs> it's too fast. <laughs> Come on, let me hear your voice. Why are you not rapping over that? Let me hear your voice. person exaggerated there's not much there's not much of this person actually rapping where is it i don't see none of it 
This is what I mean. Maybe intrinsically, maybe intrinsically, dance music events are just not very much geared towards, you know, inviting spaces for black and brown people because the person's hardly said anything. Apart from that opening five seconds, I don't, I've not really heard much else. This is an exaggeration, isn't it? This is a big exaggeration, really, I think. Come on, man. You're hardly saying anything. Yeah, maybe this person just doesn't like blacks and browns, which is perfectly understandable. I think you should be allowed to not like people based on their colour of their skin if you don't want to. I think that's perfectly fine. <laughs> if you walk into a place, you're like, oh, too many niggas in here. You should be allowed to say that. <laughs> you should be allowed to say that. Um, let's see what people are saying in the thread. Each of their own and everything. Some people like emceeing and that's fine. Personally, I find it, it never adds anything to the set and it's generally just corny. What? Do people not listen that like do people not listen to music? You've never heard somebody emceeing over a track and thought it sounded good. It never adds anything. This is insane. This is almost like saying that I don't find black people attractive, innit? I've never seen a black person that, <laughs> that I find attractive. <laughs> black girls aren't hot. You know what I mean? It does exist. <laughs> the hair is too nappy. <laughs> the bums are too big. You know what I mean? The lips are too big. It's like, what? You've never heard music with it. Somebody MC. That's like, isn't that just like all music? Forget MCing. Isn't that all music? Singing or anything? Lyrics on top of beats and shit. You never heard it sound good. Anyway. The pretentious stuff associated with normal clubbing was one of the main reasons I started loving rave scene. And it makes me sick seeing that pretentiousness come into the scene. Um... Da, 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 I agree with that person. MCing over drum and bass, MCing over techno. MCing over OG dubstep is fine by me too. So dubstep is okay, but techno is not. How does that make sense? I might have to, like, like isn't dubstep a faster, te isn't dub drum and bass usually a faster tempo than, yeah, isn't drum and bass faster tempo than fucking techno anyway? I'm disturbed by this. I might get hate for this, but I'm quite, I'm, I, I quit listening to DMB because of MCs. Wow. Really? This person stopped listening to drum and bass because of the MCs. Live mixes were unbearable. I thought white kids loved fucking Flodan and all those fucking rap, um, MCs. I thought little fucking spotty white kids loved hearing these big black burly men spit in their really gruff deep voices over these amazing industrial gritty beats i thought they loved it i thought they i thought that shit literally made their dicks hard i didn't know they hated it i thought they loved kind of you know living through these big black tough guys i didn't know they actually hated it deep down it's so bad there's a festival i've gone to called shambhala and shitty mcs fucked up almost all the dmb sets it's a crying shame MCs nearly ruined it for Let It Roll last summer too. Wow. Never been a fan of... Okay, I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know there's a whole entire scene of people that don't like MCs in drum and bass. That's kind of like the... It's kind of like one of the fucking foundations of drum and bass, isn't it? It's MCs. Jungle, grime, garage. Like, it's, it's one of the founding pillars of that music is MCs. So if you don't like the MCs, do you really like drum and bass? <laughs> like... Does that make any sense?
but maybe but a lot of people do say drum and bass is basically white people's jungle so that might explain it maybe that that's why maybe they maybe white people made drum and bass because they didn't like to hear mcs over jungle and now that mcs are coming to drum and bass because drum jungle is not as popular as it once was yeah maybe that's what's happening here the blacks just keep following them around like leave us alone we don't want to hear your lyrics we don't want it never been a fan of some of, of some dafty chatting over shit over techno sets they can fuck right off as far as i'm concerned wow man the aggression boiler in berlin died in 2017 with their sixth birthday party after that they had a pause redid the concept and never came back the same what a night though literally sweat on the walls i don't think it they redid the concept it's just it just it just got played out in it over a time it just is what it is i don't think the concept got redone and that's why it changed i just think boiler room just got played out even in berlin it's not as good as it once was people obviously do say the london one i just think got shit because of corporate sponsors and whatever it may be do you know what i mean like and obviously the people that they were booking were a little bit shit too they weren't paying people so maybe the options of the people they could book weren't the greatest but i think it ran its course it's still obviously decent um in terms of a place to go to especially for like a day party event type of thing as an attendee um obviously for a dj it's an amazing fucking platform to go and kind of you know put yourself out there but i think it's not a bad thing that it kind of you know went you know kind of you know overstayed his welcome i, I think it's okay it's perfectly fine um another person says they've been doing that since the inception of boiler room to be fair i think i read because sometimes an artist only allows early access or drop to exclusive track on other um they get a bomber by oh what is that true I think I read that it's because sometimes an artist only allows early access or to drop an exclusive of a track if it gets bomber, bombed, I guess, by the presenter. So they can't just be lifted and used elsewhere before official release. Pete Tong does it on BBC Essential. Okay, cool. So maybe the MCs are there on purpose to spit bars or to say something over a track that isn't released yet. That doesn't make any sense, to be fair. That's, that's dumb. That's, I know that does happen, obviously, on radio, but that's stupid. I don't think that's true. Um how annoying what a pretentious loot tosser oh my god is there i was there i was there and was thinking the same thing please shut the fuck up i gave awakenings a vibe um where was the cloakroom dude i hate to say it but boiler room is primarily a youtube video show now people tune in expecting the best djs doing their thing but also some type of performance which unfortunately includes emceeing over music <laughs> it's like they're saying which unfortunately includes black people whenever i read this it kind of just makes me feel like they're talking about black people which unfortunately means opening up the rave to black people <laughs> obviously the music regards to whether it's appropriate or the same genre or the b i always feel like people would rather listen to boiler room than watch it because it was primarily a dj spotlight that was back when it was an audio mix series first with the video kind of putting mix these days have long gone you can't even download the audio mixes anymore oh that's true that's a very good point boiler room is mostly a video show more so but to be fair anyway if you're recording a dj mix on for youtube you probably should be focused more on the video than the audio yes you should obviously make the audio available but if you're primarily recording it for video you should focus on the video because the video can be you know it's far it's video content is way more um what you think called it's way more engaging than audio i'd assume so especially on social media you probably get way more engagement way more clicks um having a video clip of yourself djing as opposed to a soundcloud 
um, you know, a, a screen recording of your SoundCloud link and shit. I think so, most likely. Um, seriously, what the hell was that? Ruined the entire amazing set. Horrible. Not worth it. That girl screwing up the Hector Oaks intro just because of her overwhelming blend of cluelessness and unwell. Oh yeah, true. That was a true one as well. The Hector Oaks intro was very true. Bro, techno is dead since 2020. Everything got more and more popular, but went to steroids before after COVID. And with live streams, look at the lineups now. Half of them started DJing after 2019. Yeah, that that breaks my heart. I'm not gonna lie. For somebody that's been DJing since fucking 2010 <laughs> to have people that have make it who are touring the world and they've only been playing since 2019 or 2020 it breaks my heart it honestly breaks my heart <laughs> i'm like what about me <laughs> what about me man fucking hell these honestly there are people that legitimately are touring the world like making hundreds of thousands per set and they've only started playing in 2019 can you imagine that Boiler Room was the first to go because it was one of the first things. Um, even in 2018, no techno people um, wanted to be there. Exactly. I know Boiler Room is a pretentious event that you only go to to be seen by others, to look like you're into techno when in fact you're not really into it. You're just in it for the clout. It's probably techno gatekeeping, but at least in my Berlin bubble, um, going to Boiler Room is one of the uncoolest things you can do and has been that way for many years. It's the worst of the techno scene condensed in one event with many people with the main character syndrome. People say this, but all the big techno parties in Berlin also collaborate with them. Didn't they do a recent one? with whore and somebody else i forgot a big i think it might have been like i forgot what it might have been there was a recent party that boiler room did with a few other brands so people say this they love all pretentiousness but a lot of the bigger brands promoters and stuff still do events with boiler room a lot of the bigger djs a lot of the bigger party promoter scenes and stuff and whatever they still do sets and whatever it may be on there so um this pretentiousness thing is a bit strange because i think people in the actual industry don't seem to care as much but i also think this description could be um used for clubs clubs are also like that now people don't necessarily go into clubs for the music they're mostly going there to be seen um for clout for videos for content whatever even boiler even bergheim is becoming like that people are now like i feel like going to bergheim to take that picture of them standing in front of the club as they're coming out or in the queue or to upload instagram stories with the phone cover covered so you can hear the music in the background right everyone kind of does the same sort of thing so maybe you know, unfortunately, maybe all of these things have just suffered because of social media. It is what it is, right? Social media's kind of taken the joy and the real, you know, and the real vibes out of these things that we enjoyed prior to social media clout and recognition, and they've kind of made them, you know, a little bit corny. And it's unfortunate, but I think it could be applied to literally everything. I don't consider it gatekeeping. I'm not a gatekeeping stuff. I like um, just hating on the pop culture people. I'm seeing the reason. I don't see much of it. It's things I like. I like, like I used to go out every weekend, but now there are sometimes several weekends of pop techno and every event there's latex and leather. Yeah, that's for sure. That I agree with. The whole latex, leather, um, you know, fucking, what you call it? Um, change, choker thing, whatever it may be. I'm over that shit. I don't want to see any more fucking chokers. I don't want to see any more fucking harnesses. No more fucking wristbands. No more handcuffs. No more, uh, enough. Enough of that already. Please. Please. 
Such disrespectful comment to say MCs have no place in electronic music. If this was one was bad, it's one thing, but to generalize it's a stupid thing to say. House music without voices wouldn't be the same. Drum and bass without MCs, prodigy without a voice was never reached the point that they did. Massive Attack, Daft Punk, The Bug, the list goes on. And too experimental, new stuff like Arca or EP like Lent, like um, Lima or Kelly's label are just incredible. The labor of an MC is an art. Not everybody is really good in art. Same with the music. Exactly. 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 But the person's reply is funny. Dude's going, Ayo, make some noise is art. <laughs> What's up, Dallas? That's art, isn't it? That's art. <laughs> oh, mate. I fucking love how I I love how much people in electronic music hate anything pertaining to black culture. I fucking love it. I fucking love it. Obstantaneous displays of wealth um you know people shouting people whistling people getting excited in the crowd emceeing like the you know the hate people have for anything <laughs> pertaining to actual expression and joy is fucking funny i fucking love it i swear to god i really fucking love it i absolutely love everything about it they really do hate fucking black people out here in the scene man it's hard for a nigger man it's fucking hard for a nigger out here bro I just want to listen to my oots, oots, oots music, but I have to dress like these motherfuckers to get in. I have to sound like these motherfuckers to make them feel like I'm not going to steal their fucking phones. You know what I mean? Like, it's fucking annoying. <laughs> it's fucking annoying. I swear to God it is. And when you get there anyway, they still have all these fucking stipulations that you have to kind of abide by. It's absolutely, absolutely frustrating. But what can you do? What can you do? Anyway, my friends, that has been the Exo Zinger Show episode number 737. Thank you for tuning in. Been a pleasure to have your company as per usual. It's been a pleasure. Never a fucking chore. Never a fucking chore. If you've enjoyed the show, you like what you've seen, obviously you can click the links in the description to see me and all that good stuff. If you listen to the audio side of the podcast, you can like the stream, give it a nice five-star review on whatever app you're using to listen to it, whether it's Overcast, Apple, Flipping Podcast, whether it's Spotify, whatever you use, give me a five-star review on that platform that'd be greatly appreciated and of course links to all my socials all that malarkey can be found in the description as well as links to all the stuff i spoke about in the show for now my friends goodbye god bless and i'll see you again very soon peace i said wow I said, wow. I said, wow.